And in our study of Jeremiah, God, <clears throat> when we come to chapter 26 and onward, God goes back and fills in some details of the ministry of Jeremiah and helps us understand some things in, the, in his journey through all of those kings to help us understand, to have the benefits. So we're trying to, here we are, looking, seeking to have the benefits. And we share together in chapter 26 uh, that Jeremiah, from the very beginning, apart from Josiah, Jehoiakim, all the rest of the kings that he lived through were bad kings. Uh, they were very hostile and uh, evil and hated them. And he lived through that. And we shared together in chapter 26, uh, Jehoiakim, who hated him, uh, and Jeremiah needed to understand that. That's why God, in introducing Jeremiah to his assignment, Jeremiah chapter 1, 17, 18, and 19. God introduced Jeremiah to the fact that the whole city, from top to bottom, was against him. And he hasn't even started yet. But he understands that there's no one and God would keep him in spite of everyone in totality, just well, rarely we have no other evidence, in totality, it's against him. And he is, they tried to put him in prison and we shared all that together. So that then we looked at it a little bit to remind ourselves. God, Jeremiah, is not in a unique place. No, he wasn't. And in Isaiah, you don't have to turn there, Isaiah 6 and 9 and 10, Jeremiah is told that for 40 years, for four, zero years, he is going to live with no results. He's going to live in hostility, and the ten tribes in the north are going into Assyrian captivity. Ezekiel, on the other hand, over in Babylon in the days of Jeremiah, he is told in his ministry as a great prophet, he is told that God could have sent him to the middle of the jungle somewhere, and it would have been easier. But God wasn't sending him there. God sent him to Israel, who was very strong, ultimate, strong-willed, stubborn, stiff. They are not going to budge, and Ezekiel's going to minister. What results? No, not much. He's going against terribly hard times. God saves us, and here we are. The world is indifferent. The world is in darkness and death. It needs light, and people need life. All humans don't die. They're dead, spiritually dead. People you work with, go to school with, could even live with. If they aren't saved, 
they're dead. So you can't die if you're already dead. You're already spiritually dead. What do you need? You don't need a whole lot of anything. You need life. And that's what the gospel is about. God giving us life. Forgiveness he gave us when he died on the cross. But forgiveness doesn't give you one drop of life. All it says is pardon, and you can hold the piece of paper up, pardoned. But it doesn't give you any life. Christ's resurrection gives you life. And that's the gospel. You've got to have life. That's what people need. They don't need it. the sin's the problem because the wages of sin is death. What do we need life? A relationship to God. Either we have it or we don't. Now, having said that, I didn't mean to drift. In the process, in the process we shared together that you and I are in the uh, we're in the world of darkness, the Lord Jesus said in John 15, etc. The world's going to hate you. If it hated me, it's going to hate you. Uh, you are in a world of darkness and death. It isn't going to get light. It hates light. It hates life. It doesn't want. It doesn't want to get saved. And that's how he leaves us. He leaves us in the world, but not of it. Now, God, here we are. So, Jeremiah is going to be kept in his journey through time until the Lord takes him years after the Nebuchadnezzar comes in. God, what have you done with us? When you come to know the Lord as your Savior, we shared together last time, God begins a wonderful work, Philippians 1.6. Why is it a wonderful work? Because God is doing it. <laughs> Any work, just think of six o'clock hour on Sunday. Anything God does is magnificent and overwhelming. And we're overwhelmed. So now we look in the mirror and say, wow, God has done that with us, given us the awesomeness of being able to be of all critters and creatures, including angels, to know him in a unique way, personally. No one else has that. Well, now, hang on. So God, that's what we, and here we are. God, are you able to keep us as we go down the corridor of time? As we work out our own salvation, it, you're going to work it out. Now, we got all of that, but you got that. So, Jeremiah, are you going to keep him? Everything's against him. Your own, your own old nature is against you. And God overcomes it with his wonderful person in your life. That's why you're going to have life. Whose life is it? It's his. That's why you're saved, if you, if you believe. Now, God, so here we are. So now, having said that, we come to chapter 27. Now, in 27, what are you going to add, God, to help us? And in chapter 27, Jeremiah is, records and helps us understand the ministry that he had. And he did it way back with Jehoiakim. But in particular, in particular, he's at the last king, Zedekiah, Zedekiah is in his fourth year 
of 11-year reign. He's in his fourth year, 593. He's in his year. And Jeremiah has a wonderful thing he does. God illustrates it. Now, this is the last king. And chapter 27, verse 1. And in the beginning of the reign of Jehoiakim, way back, God has been consistent in showing and teaching, and Jehoiakim hated and knew Jeremiah and warned, Jeremiah warned him of what was going to happen, but he just wouldn't listen. In the beginning of the reign of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, the king of Judah, came the word unto Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, Thus saith the Lord to me, Make the, the bonds and yokes, and put them upon thy neck. So he's going to go and make bonds and yokes, and he's going to go and put them. Now, the bonds it has to do with ropes and cords. He's going to go and, and make, and he's going to go and make them. He's going to take ropes and the word yoke, uh, I should say that, let me, the word bond is in the, in, in the, in the singular, but, and yokes is in the plural. He's going to go, Jeremiah is going to go and take ropes and thongs and cords, pieces of wood, and he's going to go and make himself a yoke to put around his neck. And he's going to make that and tie it all up around him, and then he's going to walk in to the meeting. They're having a big meeting uh, in, in Jerusalem, and the big meeting is with five kings who have come to visit Zedekiah, and what do they want? They want to, they're in cahoots to go against Nebuchadnezzar in rebellion. And they want Zedekiah to join them in the united rebellion against Nebuchadnezzar. Now, picking up in verse, verse 3. And, and send them to the king... Uh, of Edom, how is he going to send it? Well, hang on. Send of the king of Edom to the king of Moab, to the king of Ammonites, unto the king of Tyrus, Tyrus, unto the king uh, Zidon, by the hand of the messengers, the envoys, the ambassadors, which come to Jerusalem, unto Zedekiah, to Judah, and command them to say unto their masters. Yes, remember now, Jeremiah is going to go in the room. And here they're all meeting in this big hush-hush meeting to go and uh, join together against Nebuchadnezzar. Verse 4, And command them, command them to say unto their masters, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Thus shall you say unto their masters. So they're all there representing the kings, and they're there, and here's Jeremiah comes into the room, and he has a message for them. And as he comes into the room, he's got this big yoke on, tied around his neck, coming in to the room, and everyone looks at him, and, and Jeremiah said, listen, you five representatives of the kings, I want you to go, and I'm going to give you a message to bring to your king. And that's what he's going to do. And, and, and Jeremiah has the yoke. And they're all going to go out the door. Later, a little later, not much more, uh, uh, one of, another fellow's going to come along and pull that yoke off of Jeremiah. 
and say, you can't wear this yoke in front of us. <laughs> but not yet, not yet. Now, so here he comes, <clears throat> and here's these five kings, and they have an assignment to go back and tell their masters, the messengers, to go tell their kings a message. What is the message? And, if I may, uh, in uh, verse 6. And, and now have I given all these lands into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, my servant, and, and the beast of the field have I given him also to serve him, and all nations, verse 7, shall serve him, and his son and his son's son, until the very time of his land come, time of his land come, verse 7, and they, and they, many nations and great kings, the media Persian Empire, shall serve themselves of Nebuchadnezzar and his kingdom. But, verse 8, and it shall come to pass that the nation and kingdom which will not serve, not, N-O-T, serve the same Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, and that will not put their neck under the yoke of the king of Babylon, that nation will I punish, saith the Lord, with a sword, with famine, and with pestilence, until I have consumed them by his hand, by Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar is undefeat. You can't defeat him. He's invincible at the moment, and you can't defeat him. Now hang on. And verse 9, Therefore, hearken not ye to your prophets, nor to your diviners, people foretelling the future, nor to your dreamers, nor to your enchanters, nor to your sorcerers, which speak unto you, saying, You shall not serve the king of Babylon. Now, they're all giving a message that's the wrong one. Verse 10. For they prophesy a lie unto you to remove you and to far from your land, and that I should drive you out, and you should perish. Now, if you don't yield, verse 11, but the nations that bring their neck under the yoke of the king of Babylon and serve him, those will I let remain still in their own land, saith the Lord, and they shall till it and dwell therein. In other words, everyone yield. Nebuchadnezzar is in power and therefore yield and, 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 and you'll have, be able to stay at home and uh, keep your garden and, uh, and your grocery store, whatever you got, and you'll be able to be fine. If you resist him, I'll have him cut your throat and move you out of business, put you out of business, in other words. That's what I'm going to have him do. Now, you have to understand that. Now, God, you said that. And the five kings, what do they need to know? You better drop this revolt don't continue that you're getting a message that's a lie. It's not true. Now hang on to that. And therefore, if you don't yield the yoke, that's what the yoke is, put the yoke around your neck. The yoke is Babylon, king of Babylon. Put the yoke around your neck and, and recognize you're under servitude. And Nebuchadnezzar is the king. Now, keeping that in mind, if you would, and, and uh, keeping that in, in front of you, remember now that Babylon 
Babylon. Why Babylon? Why Nebuchadnezzar? Because Nebuchadnezzar, you remember, Abraham, God gave him a wonderful promise of the land of Palestine. And Israel, Exodus 19, had a wonderful, wonderful promise of being God's special, prized, privileged, personal nation above all nations of the earth. And, and what happened? Well, they would have been blessed, like Abraham, Genesis 12. They would have been blessed. But if they don't honor God, they'll be cursed. And Israel, what's going to happen? The ten tribes in the north are cursed. And the Assyrian captivity. The two tribes in the south, in particular Judah, are cursed. And Zedekiah is the last king. And just a handful of years, literally. And Nebuchadnezzar is going to level the city and scrape it. Bodies all over the place. It's going to be terrible. It wasn't that they weren't warned. They were warned. Nebuchadnezzar was given the right to do so. Why? Because what happened after the Genesis 6, you know. Genesis chapter 11, the tower, 1 through 9, uh, the tower of Babel and the city, religious and political, they attempted uh, to overcome God in both ways, political and religiously, worship. And God judged them. What did you call the judgment God? Babel. What happened when the nations were all scattered? And we go to Genesis chapter 10 chronologically first. And Genesis chapter 10, there all the nations are scattered after Genesis 11. And you know when chapter 10, verse 10, what do you know? Nimrod. Now, what, why of all the different people? You don't say any whole lot of names in Genesis 10. You just mention Nimrod. Why? Because his kingdom, underlined, all the different nations, but his kingdom was called what? Babel. Babel. Babel is the key. Now, God, here's the world system. The Tower of Babel. Nimrod, Babel. You slide through history, Babylon rises up. Babylon is at the top. It defeats the Assyrians, etc. And in the process, it rises to the top. And God has given it the right and privilege to be at the top of the pile. Why is it at top of the pile? Because, remember Daniel 2, you can turn there, we'll turn there just for a minute. And then Daniel and chapter 2, picking up the thought, if I may. And you will note uh, in uh, Daniel and chapter 2, uh, in uh, chapter 2, picking up please, oh, in verse, you'll see it, uh, in verse 44. And in the days of these kings, remember now that here's the great image of gold. Uh, I should uh, go back, I shouldn't be that fast. Verse 31, And thou king sawest, and behold the great image, the great image whose brightness and excellence stood before thee, uh, and, 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 uh, and, uh, and the form thereof was terrible. 
His image, the image's head was of fine gold. It's a man. And the head, the head was of gold, solid gold. And Nebuchadnezzar answered to nobody. Every other king come along, the governments, they answer somehow to somebody. But Nebuchadnezzar was given the right to be the top of the pile. And he answered to nobody but God. That's all he did. Now, hang on to that. And he's the head of gold. And now God, and then the head of gold, the man, the Gentile nations, the times of the Gentiles, Babylon, the beginning of the times of the Gentiles, the Jews up down in the bottom, and the image of man standing on top of them, as it were. And we go down with the, the breast and the legs of iron and the feet of iron and clay and the toes of iron and clay, I should say. And here they are. Now, as you go down, God is going to what? He's going to judge that whole image. He's going to judge it. Where does he start? The head of gold, history. And you slide all the way down to the toes, the ten toes, the United States of Europe kind of thing over here. And you, you come to us where we are now. And they're all busy trying to do whatever the United States of Europe. Uh, we read the other day the new leaders of the UN, that's their goal. The United, literally, the United States of Europe. Well, now, having said that, keeping that in mind, God's going to judge the Antichrist then, and it goes all the way up, chapter 2, verse 44. And in the days of these kings shall God of heaven set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed, and the kingdom shall not be left to other people, but it shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms, and shall stand forever. It, for as much as thou sawest that the stone was cut out of the mountain kingdom without hands, God did it, it's God's kingdom, and that it break in pieces the iron, the brass, the clay, the silver, the gold, and the great God took the whole thing, all of the Gentile empires are continued in one form or another, gold and iron and silver and all of that. And verse 44, the part of 45, at the end of the verse, to know that the king shall come, to know what the king shall come to come come to pass hereafter, and the dream is certain, and the interpretation thereof is sure. So God, you're going to go and judge. You're going to go and judge these nations. Uh-huh, I am. Now, now to get that little bit, get that much. A, they want to rebel against Nebuchadnezzar. They want Zedekiah to join them. Jeremiah is, is visually exhibiting, which God does often, exhibited in a dramatic way uh, by having a yoke, etc., of telling what's going to happen and what they better do is yield to Nebuchadnezzar. If they don't, they're in very big trouble. Now, having said that, back over to chapter 27 of Jeremiah. And Jeremiah chapter 27. Now, the basis, the basis of this, what, and Jeremiah prefaces the yoke message with this, which is important. Verse 5. I have made the earth, made the earth, 
And, and the man, I made the earth and man and the beast that are upon it, the ground, by my great power, by my outstretched arm. I have given it to whom it seemed meet unto me. Now God, that's what, what, you, how do, what are those messengers going to say? Israel's God is going to do what he sees fit. And he's going to put in power whom he chooses. And he chooses Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon in the light of history, Revelation 17 and 18, the religious and political Babylon coming up. He's going to do that. And God said, and Jeremiah says, before, this is what you tell him, the God of Israel has chosen Nebuchadnezzar to do the job. And everyone take heed, because, that's why God's going to say, Nebuchadnezzar's in charge of the animals. <laughs> He's in charge of everybody. God gave him that unique privilege. No one else has that, not like that. Wow. Now, so therefore, now let's see what we can do in a few minutes. I want to get a hold of that for myself, if I can. Maybe it'll help you too. In the light of that, God, so I already know we're hanging in here in a world of darkness and death, and God, you have to keep us because the world system hates light and hates life. And therefore, if we're going to represent you, we're not going to be popular. That's all there is to it. And you have to roll up your sleeves and that's it. That's what God gave you. He didn't take you out of the world. He gives you life from death in the middle of the world. So that all of a sudden, in the middle of your family, in the middle of your job, in the middle of your neighborhood, in the middle of everybody you know, all of a sudden you're saved. <laughs> wow. What happened to you? I got saved. Hang on. Now, that's wonderful. Now, let's see if we can have a little exercise to do this. Over, if you would, Jeremiah chapter 8. Do you hold it now? Before I do it, I want you to see what you're doing. You see the end of verse 5. God hath given it to whom, unto whom it seemed meet. That's one word. The word please, to do things straight. To be straight down the road, deviating not to the left, deviating not to the right, going straight, good, pleasing. You chose it. It's my will. I choose it. it it's it's, it's my, what I want. It's what I, it pleases me. I'll say it simply, the verb. God said it pleases me to put him in place. And if it pleases me, who's going to be displeased with what I am pleased with? No one. When I'm pleased with it, back off. Hang on. Now, with that little bit, Jeremiah 18. Now, here's the nations, remember, earlier in Jeremiah's ministry. And in chapter 18, remember, you remember the, uh, the pottery in the potter's house, etc., and the pot vessel was broken. And, uh, and the Jeremiah was to look in, and the potter took the broken vessel, and he was still able to go and mold it and make it again. Therefore, you read in chapter 18 and verse 3, 
Then I went down to the potter's house, and behold, he wrought a work on the wheels. And the vessel that he made of clay was marred, marred, damaged, had a flaw in it, in his hand, in the in the in in the in the hand of the of the potter. So he made it again. He made it again, another vessel as seemed. There's your little word, good, to the potter to make it. It pleased the potter to make something else and make it something that it wasn't. Wow. Now, God, here we are, and we're born physically, and we are made in the image and likeness, and uh, sin has come along and loused up the whole arrangement, and so we're trying to, in our humanity, uh, trying to be, have a human world system, and we're missing out. We're missing out because you made it wonderfully possible for us to be able to have a superior, awesome nation to, relationship to you. Now, God, you're going to go to Israel and make it again? I am. Israel's going to go into captivity and, and uh, tribulation, and um, at the end of the tribulation... I'm going to make it a whole new nation, a wonderful nation that I intended it to be. Now, in the meantime, that message in chapter 18 was a message to all the nations, the Amorites and the, each one of them out there, out there, the, those nations that are rebelling, God had given them a message. Verse 8, and the nation against whom I have pronounced uh, that I have pronounced, turn from their evil, I will, I will repent of the evil that I thought to do unto them. And of the, at what instance I shall speak concerning a nation, a kingdom, at, to build and to plant it, if it do evil in my sight, that it obey not my voice, then I will repent of the good, wherewith I said I would re benefit them. Now therefore go and speak to the men of Judah, etc., the men of Jerusalem, and saying, Thus saith the Lord, Behold, I frame evil against you, devise a device against you. You return, you return ye now, you return ye now, every one from his evil way, and make your ways and your doings good. And they said, There is no hope, but we will make after our own devices, and we will, every one, do the imagination, our thought process, of our evil heart. What is There's no hope. But you're going to keep going in the wrong direction, as we shared last time. Uh-huh, that's what we're going to keep doing. Now, God, you would make it again. You would make it. It's the same good to you. So if people would get back into the place they should, uh, then you would do something wonderful. We could goof and louse our life up something fierce. And if God, God, and God, you're there, and, and, and if we come to you in, in repentance and a heart, seeking your wonderful will, knowing you do what, you, what pleases you, why did you make me? Why am I here? Why am I going through all of this? What do you want me to learn? And we want to learn, and each one. Because we aren't talking about nations now. We're talking about individuals. We're talking about you and me. We're talking about us in the body of Christ, the church. A whole nother ball game. And boy, if it was true, if it's true for nations, 
what on earth must it be for us? Now, hang on to that. Having said that, in the light of that, picking up if I can now, oh, over to a please with to pick up in thought. Time's sake. Numbers. Numbers 23. And in Numbers chapter 23, you would recall, I'm just going to give you it briefly if I can. Uh, in Numbers chapter 23, picking up please, uh, in verse 27. And Balak said unto Balaam, the prophet, Balak, the king of Moab, Come, I pray thee, I will bring thee into another place. Remember, he's trying to get the prophet, Balaam, to curse Israel. And Balaam, and Balak said unto Balaam, Come, I pray thee, and I will bring thee into another place. Peradventure, it will please, there's your little word, meet, seemed meet, fit, pleasing, it will please God that thou mayest curse them from here, here there. Where I'm going to put you, God, is have a whole little view where you can see the big two and a half million people and all the animals and everything down there. And I'm going to put you up on that big mountain. I want you to look down where you can see everything and curse them. Tell God to curse them. If it please God. Balak, did you know that? You're a pagan king. You did know that. It has to please God. You can't just tell God anything. You please God. And you, you're an unsaved man. And you realize, if God may listen to you, Balaam, hang on. And over, if you would, chapter 24, verse 13. If Balak, 24 and 13. If Balak would give me his house full of silver and gold... I cannot go beyond the commandment of the Lord to do either good or bad of mine own mind. But what the Lord saith, that will I speak. I can't go against God. God does what he pleases, what seems fit. If he wants Nebuchadnezzar to be king, soul, and singular, and you bet your boots, that's what he's going to be. And no one anywhere can stop him. Think of all of history. We're in the middle of it. How do we stop it? How do we fix it? We try to do the best we can in areas that we can, but we aren't changing history. History's just traveling along down the railroad tracks, and we're on the train. We aren't fixing it. God, you must have a plan. I do. And that's what's happening. The plan is not working, so don't panic. You're in darkness and death. You want, it isn't a world that's going to love you. You're going down the road. They don't want to hear. They don't want to know. Therefore, having said that little bit and keeping that in mind, over, if you would, O to Proverbs. Proverbs in chapter 12, I think. And you'll pick up in mind... Proverbs chapter 12, picking up please, you'll pick it up, <clears throat> now I'm looking at the word, I'm looking, Balak was a pagan unsaved man, but he knew, 
He knew. He knew God is going to do whatever he's going to do. Chapter Proverbs, help me. Verse 15, 12, 12 and 15. The way of a fool is right in his own eyes. You see the word right? That's pleasing, seemed fit. Pleasing, that's the verb. Pleasing, pleasing. It's pleasing. Why do you keep going? That's what we read in Ezekiel, uh, Jeremiah 18. Why, won't you, why do you have no hope? Because it pleases us to do what we're doing. We want to do what we want to do. Don't we have the right? I mean, that's the big battle, isn't it? Because God gave you the right to say yes and no. And that's the big battle. That's what the devil came in, didn't he? He said, listen, I know you can't get rid of God. Everyone knows it's God. But shouldn't you have the right? You, after all, can't you have your rights? God has his rights. We can't get rid of God. The devil knows that. Everyone knows that if they want to. Now, here's Proverbs. Therefore, a fool said, uh, a f the way of a fool is right in his own eyes. Over chapter 16. Chapter 16. And picking up if I can. And verse 25, you know it. There is a way that seemeth right, there's your little word, pleasing, unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. And I think it's right. I don't know what's right. Don't I have a right to think what I want? Sure you do. You can think what you want. The five kings think what they want. You think what you want. And you have a right. I do. That's, what we, that's the whole battlefield. Independence. I have a right. I'm going to exercise my right, my, how I feel, what I think. Okay. And they have it. But that your pleasure is not going to come out the way it's supposed to. God's pleasure will, yours and mine won't. Hang on. Chapter 21. And you'll pick it up wonderfully. Verse 1. 21.1, the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. As the rivers of water, he turneth it whithersoever he will. Every way of a man is right, pleasing, in his own eyes, but the Lord, the Lord pondereth the hearts. He's the one that decides and weigheth the heart. He knows everything about the human life. He created it. He created us. He knows all about our old nature. And therefore, therefore, so if we're going to pursue it on our terms, on our way, then we're going to go. And you know, without turning there, if you went to Judges, among Deuteronomy and Judges, and you went to chapter 17, and you went to chapter 21, what do you know? You're going to read it. You, I don't, you know what? It's like a lot of things. Everyone did that which is the, end, the last statement in the book of Judges. Everyone did that which is right in what? In their own eyes. You got it. There's the word, right. Everyone does that which is right in their own eyes. That's what the whole thing is. Everyone's doing what they want to do. That's the whole problem. <laughs> and, and then we're all doing our things, whatever, all over the place. Wow, hang on now. So, in the light of that, in the light of that, if you would, oh, over to, oh, Isaiah. 
Isaiah chapter 45. So it pleases God to do. And God has the right to do whatever he wants. And you don't argue with God, you just yield. Think of the days of the war and World War II and all of that and Adolf Hitler and all of those different things. And, and I think, I, I don't remember it all, but I think they either tried to kill him five or six times. They tried to kill him five or six times and they couldn't kill him. <laughs> you couldn't kill him. We tried to, I, I would have helped kill him. I, I shouldn't have said that. I, I would, if, I was a, if I was a German general, I, I would have been with those guys. And I'd be, anyway, you got the idea. I'd do that. But you can't do it if it isn't God's will. You aren't going to kill anybody if it isn't God's will. You can't kill. If God, if God has a plan for, for, for Nebuchadnezzar and Cyrus the Great and all the way down through history, they're going to do what they're going to do. God programmed it in his wonderful plan, in his wonderful creative plan to, to honor his wonderful person in a most awesome way by way of Calvary's cross. And we're in it. And God, so we're part of it. That's right. So God, he which hath begun a good work in you, is going to finish it. Work out your own salvation, Philippians 2.12, with fear and trembling, for it is God which what? worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. God's going to do. It's about God. God has a wonderful plan. And you should want to get into it. But I'm going to do that which is right in my own eyes. You can. You can spend it and spend and die. You can be 20, 50 years old and 70 years old, 110 years old, and die. So what? I don't know what you gain. Besides old age, what did you gain? Nothing. Isn't it better to have something that you can, some, I got something. Who said so? God did. God made it clear, simple, plain, flowers, bugs, birds, bees, everything, declares in a most superior way that God is able to do, think of your DNA kind of thing, beyond a question, beyond all ability to understand it. And God made you. To know him, the creator. Now, so here's Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 45, picking up please, uh, in verse, oh, verse, I'm going to go directly in the light of idolatry. I'm going to go to verse 11. Thus saith the Lord, the Holy One of Israel, and his maker, ask of me, ask me of things to come concerning my sons, concerning the work of my hands, command ye me. God says, listen. I'm God. How much God? Verse 12. 12. I have made the earth and created man upon it. I, even I, even my hands have stretched out the heavens, all just between the thumb and the little finger. I stretched it out just like that. Zillions and trillions of galaxies. <laughs> I did that. <laughs> I did that. Uh, I did that. And all, and all their hosts, Trillions and trillions of galaxies, trillions, have I commanded. Verse 13, I have raised him up, at Cyrus, in righteousness. I will direct all his ways. He shall, he shall build my city, Jerusalem. 
He shall let my people captives go, Ezra, Nehemiah, etc. Not for the price, no reward. Not for price, no reward, saith the Lord of hosts. He's just going to honor my will. And I've raised up Cyrus, and Cyrus is going to do that. I have raised up Nebuchadnezzar, and he's going to do what he does. And I raised him up. I let them come up. I raised him up. No one, and you know that from Daniel 4, 17, we don't have time to read all that, that, that no one anywhere is anywhere except if I allow it. If I don't allow it, it isn't going to happen. Boy, you're in charge. He said, I am. If you don't mind, I am. Now you say, if you're going to be questioning, I don't know. How are you going to enjoy when you yield to God and you want his will? You want his will tomorrow morning? God, you want, I want your will. I don't know what it will be tonight. I want it. I'm going to go to sleep maybe. Maybe I won't. Maybe I won't. But I'm, what, God, I want your will. Now I have to understand, is God capable of honoring that? Is God going to do it? I don't sit there and say, you aren't going to say, well, maybe, maybe God heard me. Maybe God will do it. No, there is no maybe. There is no maybe. If he knows the hairs, how many hairs on your head? And anyone that wants to count the hairs on your head has to be pretty smart if you ask me about you. When he tells you what? Just, oh, you know all this stuff. John, uh, Psalm 40 and all of that, 139, what? My thoughts to you are more than the what? Sand of the sea. Figure that one out. I think about you more than the sand of the sea. Now, how many sand? Go, go grab a pile of sand somewhere and put it in your kitchen table. Now, either we let God be God, or no, we're not going to let him. That's right. We don't believe. We don't believe. No, I'm not. I think about it. I'm not going to get an answer to prayer. I don't know whether God will do it or not. I don't believe he'd do it. And what is God telling me? Without faith, it's what? Impossible. Guess what impossible means? It's impossible to please me. Why don't you believe me? God, we're in your presence. You betcha. And you have to believe. Do you understand? You don't say, oh, think about it. Now, that's not believing. Come on. Either you believe he is or he isn't. Either he is or he, doing or he isn't doing. Wow. So having said that little bit, and uh, keeping in mind, God said, I direct Cyrus that's, and, and Nebuchadnezzar. <clears throat> now here we are. Proverbs closing. Proverbs and chapter 3. I hope you get a little bit. We just have to be prodded a bit and provoked because we say and think we do things, but we don't do them as thoroughly as we think we should. We don't believe as much as you think you do. And that's what you have to do. And say, well, it isn't working. Well, no, it isn't going to work because you don't believe. But I believe. No, you don't. I'm not talking about you guys. But we aren't. I do. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe. No. When I go to bed, you kneel down, whatever you do. Thank God. Thank God. And thank you. 
<laughs> Thank you. And you go. And God, the rest of it's, you know, you have a nightmare about Frankenstein and something, whatever. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Whatever you do, and you do. Wow. So therefore, Proverbs 3, closing. If I can, Proverbs chapter 3, picking up, please, in verse, on verse 5. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Lean not unto thine own understanding. In all, verse 6, in all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct, please. It pleases him. Direct. Seems fit. Seems meet. Pleasing. Right. Straight down the road. Not going to the left or right. Uh-huh. At, at verse 6, in all thy ways acknowledge him. I'm looking, God, here, left, right. I'm going to go to work, home, school, play, whatever I got going. And, and he shall be pleased, pleased to direct, to do right in your paths. He leadeth, think of Psalm 23. He leadeth me in paths of what? Righteousness. Why? Why does he lead us in paths of righteousness? For his what? His namesake. I don't know. Is that hard? For his namesake. Now, God, that's what you do. It's simple. Don't make, don't make it some complicated thing. If it was complicated, we could never do it. And if God doesn't do it all, we're never going to do it. So you've got to give God some credit. Just relax and do it. No? I appreciate that. Think of all the raindrops that have fallen. And then think of God's thinking about you more than the raindrops. <laughs> more than the raindrops. I don't know. I don't know where I'm going to go. I'm just going to go and say, God, all I can say is, wow. <laughs>